14 games left to go in the Diamondbacks 2023 season. And welcome to today's episode of Snakes on the Diamond podcast. I'm Mike McDermott. I'm host of the podcast. We're joined today by my co-host, Wes Beyer, and Jack Summers is joining the show today to talk about the National League Cy Young Award race, who's going to win that, the upcoming series against the Mets, which will be today through Thursday, as the D-backs try to pick up some wins here in September in a very tight National League wildcard race, and then we'll talk about Jake McCarthy and his recent hot streak in Reno and whether that makes him worthy to be promoted to the roster to finish out the season and perhaps even play in the postseason. So we're going to – so, gentlemen, how are you doing today? Doing well. By the way, there's 18 um, games left, not 14. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing great. Uh, kind of excited to hopefully catch a game next weekend, so – and have them still in contention because I think that the I've had like unfortunately a lot of losses that I've seen. I think I've only seen the team actually win in person once. I had one year where I had a partial season ticket package that I then split with somebody else. So I have like 21 games, 21 home games of uh, uh, out of 41. And I think they went three and 18 in the games I attended. Yeah, I think it was the stretch this year where they lost eight straight games that I covered in June. Yeah, in July. Yeah, you, you're you're bad luck, Michael. <laughs> well, they weren't winning That's very many games during that stretch to begin with. <clears throat> it, it's all your fault. We we know it's your fault, Michael. Yeah, my my unlucky year was 2016. So, like you said, it wasn't wasn't a great year to begin with. Yeah, that was everyone's unlucky year. <laughs> I think they especially struggled at home that year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And compared to this year where they're just above 500 at both home and away. So, NL Cy Young, what a mess, huh? Yep. It feels like everyone and no one wants to win it at the same time. So we're going to showcase on uh, Fangraphs the top – who they list as the top 10 Cy Young Award winners, but really you just have to look at one through five. So Justin Steele is considered the favorite to win based on the uh, based on what Fangrass is predicting for the Cy Young points. Spencer Strider, Blake Snell, Zach Gallen, and Zach Wheeler round out the top five. So this weekend we got to see two of the top five pitch in the same series as Justin Steele went on Saturday. Allowed one run in seven innings and a Dimebacks 3-2 extra innings win. And Zach Gallen threw a complete game shutout on Friday, defeating the Cubs 1-0 in, a, in both those games being very pivotal for the Dimebacks' playoff hopes. So I got to ask you this question, Jack. Uh, which which pitcher do you think has the best shot of winning the Cy Young with basically three start, four starts for everyone to go? Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm not sure everyone has four starts. Some may only have three just depending on how it works out. But, you know, um, especially if they clinch. Like, for example, if the Cubs clinch a spot early, I mean, Steele would be bumping right up against it also, like last day of the year, to get his fourth start. Um, So I think that, um, you know, if they happen to clinch before then and they're locked in, like just if things were the way they are now, for example, and they were locked in, they couldn't catch Phillies, they couldn't be caught by the Diamondbacks or whoever, um, then he may only get three more. So that's, and, and that may actually come in play in the Cy Young race because uh, Justin Steele's biggest deficit is innings, right? Um, what I talked about today, you know, was the statistical pros and cons for each player. And I, I think based on the fact that most of the voters are still traditional somewhat, or even the ones that are less traditional, still heavily influenced for, from decades of being conditioned to look at one loss record in ERA, even if they consider themselves, uh, you know, saber aware, statistically aware, it, it's kind of like all of us. We all look at batting average first because that's what's first in the, in the slash line. Um, and so, you know, subconsciously, I think that that has a really big impact. And, you know, the dude's 16-3 and three and leads the league with the ERA at 249. So that's catching people's eyes. It's catching attention. Um, and, you know, the thing is, is can he get over 180 innings? 
um, it, you know, it, it, that's going to be tough for him to get there, right? Especially if he's only got three starts left, he'd have to get 20, 21 innings in those last three starts. So we're going to pull up the table real quick for everyone to see if you're watching the video. You know, to add to, to what you're saying about how people are still like win-loss, you know, like the older school uh, method of looking at like Cy Young candidates, Zach Wheeler, I believe, has the highest F4 out of him, but he's not going to win the Cy Young. That's Correct. funny thing. So it's like even, even with, you know, more statistically uh, inclined – uh, writers out there, I, it's 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 interesting how much like win loss ERA is still very much like going to be probably the deciding factor in this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Zach Wheeler is not going to win the Cy Young, and he may not even finish in fifth. Um, yeah, you know, and, and and either him or Logan Webb is going to be is going to be snubbed. So, you know, when in my article, Michael's got one table up there right now, um, the first table. And, uh, you know, what I did here was I showed in dark, bold, black, who were the leaders in that category, and in red, who were trailing in that category. Um, you know, so you can see Steele. I mean, he's got the, you know, he's tied with Strider for the most wins. He's 16 and three. So obviously got the best win percentage. He's got the 249 ERA. Um, you know, but he actually has like the highest hit rate. Um, then you look down like it's Strider, you know, he's got the highest ERA in the group, right? But he's also got that insane strikeout per nine rate. Gallon is kind of yeah. like right in the middle of all of them. He doesn't have any red in his line, but the only black he has is game started. Yeah, and that's something that he'll lead the league in starts because he's on pace for 34. Right. As the so, season's going. What I was trying to get at with this article is, okay, you know, these are the stats that most people are going to look at first. But then if you go to table two, as Michael's doing now, and as Wes just said, you see Zach Wheeler there at 5.7 F war, 4.1 B war. When you average the two together, he leads in average war. If you take the two wars, which I like to do, um, and, and I, I think I'm sorry to be talking so much, but I think it's important to explain for the audience Baseball reference war, its starting point is runs allowed per nine innings. And then it makes adjustments due to the strength of the competition, the ballparks that the pitcher actually pitched in, right? And um, then beyond that, it also makes an adjustment for the quality of the defense behind the pitcher. Fangraph's war, their starting point is FIP, which is fielding independent pitching, and it's only walks, strikeouts, and home runs with a ballpark adjustment, and then it's scaled to the ERA scale. So Fangraph's war is based on those three components. There's no batted balls um, that are in play. There's only home runs, strikeouts, and walks, uh, and, and the park factors, and the workload, the innings pitched, the volume that go into Fangraph's war, whereas baseball reference war starts from actual runs allowed and then makes adjustments for ballpark, strength of competition, and the defense behind the pitcher. So it's really two very divergent philosophies. Um, and they often give you quite a different result. And I kind of like to average them together because Fangrass War gives you a good snapshot of the underlying quality with all of the variables stripped out. But we're talking about the Cy Young Award here, not future projection, right? And results matter. How many runs you gave up? How many team wins you helped accomplish? How many innings you put on the table? All of that. That all really matters. So that's why I do this and compare the two. So when you, when you compare these two and you look at the average war, you see Zach Wheeler out in front at the very top of the table. But when you scroll back to table one, and if you look at an 11 to six record and a three, four, nine ERA, there's just no way that enough voters are going to override those numbers to vote for him. Yeah, the the other thing is any, any category. So yeah, it's just the value, the value is provided is the only thing that makes him stand out. I mean, it's very, I like, I like your explanation of how the difference works because I'm not even, I can't always remember what the difference is. I just try to keep the divergent philosophy in mind when I, when I look at these sort of things. 
Yeah, I don't think the voters are going to be accounting for the fact that Kyle Schwarber played, what, 100-plus games in left field yeah. for them? And now that Bryce yeah. Harper's back, he's now into his uh, intended role of being a designated hitter. Um, th- there's one other important point in Table 2, Michael, if you can pull that up. We'll get table two up, and here it is. There you go. Look at run support. Okay, Spencer Strider with that awesome Braves lineup behind him has a 640, 6.40 run support per game. So he's an interesting guy here. He's really polarizing because he's got that 3.83 ERA. And people say, well, he was unlucky, you know, because his FIP is 2.89. Look at all the strikeouts and a pretty decent walk rate, right? Um, so you can say he was unlucky in ERA, but then the flip side is is he's got 6.4 runs a game in run support, um, you know, helping him to a 16-5 and five record. So that he's been lucky on the one-loss side of things. Um, that you look at Logan Webb, and I, and I just got to talk about Logan Webb because I love this pitcher. I do, you know, we get to see him a lot. Um, look at that, 3.3 runs a game in run support. I mean, we can just toss that one loss record right out the window. What does 10 and 12 even mean when the guy only gets 3.3 <laughs> runs a game, half as much as Spencer Strider? Yeah. Meanwhile, he's a stud. I mean, he's, he leads the league in innings pitched. He leads the league in innings, in innings pitched per game started. And he's right there. Like, if you look at his value metrics, the average war, I mean, he's all within a half a war of every other guy on the table. But he's he's probably not even going to finish fifth. So I just wanted to give Logan Webb some love. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, just, you just said that, Jack, because uh, Logan Webb is my dark horse Cy Young candidate that should probably win it if you really look at it like the way you did. But he's not going to get – he's just not going to get it. He's just not – doesn't have the run support. Doesn't, I mean, people win, – win-loss record actually still matters to a lot of, you know, uh, the writers out there. So. Yeah, and you look at who – who, who do we think is actually going to win? Because it's not really – no one really stand, stands out. Like, what's it going to take for one of these guys to, uh, to, to you know, uh, pull ahead of the rest of the pack? Michael, I think, I, mean, yeah. I think we have to start with the elephant in the room. How do the voters view Blake Snell? So Snell has a strikeout rate above 30%, or if we go back to the uh, the article, if we want to do per nine innings, uh, Blake Snell is at 11-7. And Snell yeah. has a weird way of getting out of jams. This Results season. matter, but do they? That's the real thesis of, uh, of this whole thing, because it's he's had the results, but all of his peripheral stats are like garbage compared to everyone else. Yeah. You look at the walk rate, it's three, it's uh, almost two times every, uh, the next highest yeah. walk rate. If you compare to Strider and three times higher compared to everyone else. Cause you got gallon web Wheeler all under two walks per nine innings where you look at Snell is over five, but he's also a very difficult pitcher to square to square up. Uh, due to the fact that he has a lot of swing and miss with two breaking balls and a fastball that can hit up to, what, 97 from the left side? Right. You know, um, I think it's important to remember just how good a pitcher's part San Diego Got still it. is. I mean, it's basically uh, it, every, year in, year out, it's among the, if the first, second, or third most pitcher-friendly park in the league. A lot of people have this misconception, well, they move the fences in and you can hit home runs there now and it's not so pitcher friendly. It's it doesn't matter. It's still yeah, either the first, second, or third most pitcher friendly ballpark every single year. And what we see when we look at um the uh a park adjusted metric like ERA plus, it's really interesting. Um, you know, where you have Steel and Snell have essentially the same ERA, right? But let me go find adjusted ERA plus. Steel is 180. And I mentioned this in the article, um, which, by the way, if you're listening, si.com slash MLB slash Diamondbacks. Uh, but 
Justin Steele has a 180 ERA plus. Snell is at 162. So that's a significant difference, right? That's a lot bigger difference than what you're seeing in the raw ERA of 249 and 252, where most people look at those and say, well, that's the same number, but they're not. Not even close. Yeah. Yeah, San Diego's I mean, multi-park factor is 93 or 7% below average. There's nothing that, – that park is always going to be – like, I really don't see how they can – I mean, a, a big part of uh, the environment there is, like, the climate. It's very – right next to the ocean. The park is just built in a way that it's just not – I don't see how they're going to really change that. I mean – but, yeah, no, Snell – by the way, San Diego's 93 is 30th in the league. Most yeah, pitcher friendly. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to wonder. I mean, that's pretty much why he's not even in the argument for me for actually winning the Cy Young. I mean, it's one of those, like, if, if he wins it, it's, it's, I mean, that's just a travesty in my opinion. And also, like, I don't think there's the, a look at I mean, the innings. It's really results matter, but do they? Because like if you look at everything else, it's really like that's the one thing that like disqualifies Snell is like it's just a lucky year really for him. And he plays in a really good park for pitching. Uh, and he's got that working for him. I mean, the rest of his team sucks, but you know can't do anything about that. Yeah, so, say- how much do you think Zach Gallen's workload, you know, second only to Webb in innings pitched, is going to help him, especially if he makes four more starts? The, I, mean, I think if you can go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I think what like I said, the only other pitcher in the National League that's going to come close to innings is Webb, and obviously those two are going to jockey for the ERA lead, and it might be a case where how their seasons go may determine if Zach Gallen leads the league in innings or not. Because if the Giants are out of it, they're not going to start Webb on game 162. That comes to pass, but if they're fighting for a wild card spot, they're going to try and line them up for that. Right. So, you know, just to put a quick bow on this, um, you know, like if you go to the article, if anyone happens to go to the article and and take a look at it, um, you know, I give the I kind of review the pros and cons. I give you a paragraph on each player and let you know where what are their statistical strengths, what's favoring them and what are their statistical weaknesses um, in this comparison. You know, and at the end of the day, it's really still a toss-up. I think that the next three or four starts are really going to be, you know, potentially pivotal. Pivotal. Because yeah, uh, Justin Steele's next start is lined up for September 15th against the Dimebacks at Chase Field. So we'll be looking for that. That will be a potential pivot point as well. Although, and then uh, I'm not sure what Philadelphia's schedule is going out for the end of the season. San Francisco plays the Dodgers. A couple more times before the season ends, I believe. Right. By the way, Gallon starts Tuesday against the Giants, and I think he starts Sunday against the Cubs. Oh, nice. Wait. So I may I may see him next my next Sunday. Uh, I, I wait, believe it. Am I correct, Michael, or not? No. Okay. Thank you. Correct me. Uh, there's a because the game, but there's only one day, one uh, rest day between Sunday and Tuesday in the schedule. Well, okay, so I'm my understanding is that they've lined it out so that Gallon and 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 uh and Kelly get the max possible starts. They're each going on four days rest no matter what. That's yeah, my so understanding. Ga- so Gallon's next start's gonna be Wednesday against the Mets. And if I we assume uh Based on the Dimebacks schedule, obviously they don't get an off so that means uh Gallon's slated for the thirteenth and the nineteenth. Oh, okay. So he's Wednesday against the Mets. Okay, then he, yeah, then he okay. won't start in the Cup series. I will right. not see him. Yeah, yeah my, curious my to me that it's Zach Wheeler is in this argument. I see this the stat head page in front of me, and it just like makes me laugh that he's like in the argument without like leading in any of those those, those statistics. Well, I mean, yeah. you're looking at it. Well, I mean, when you look at Wheeler, right? I mean. If you go back to, you know, his, he's got a two nine three fit, okay. Yeah. So that's the same as Steele, and you know, just slight, slightly behind Strider at two two eight nine. His home run per nine is zero point eight. 
The only one lower is steel, 0.6. His walk per nine is 1.7. The only one lower is web, 1.4. His Ks per nine are 10.2, right? So you got Snell and Strider ahead of him there. So, I mean, like, he's, like, super strong in all of the fifth component. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a bad thing at all. It, is, it seems very amusing to me. I, You know, he, he has the unfortunate thing of playing with, you know, uh, not the best defense behind him. And I think if he was on, if he was on Arizona, if he was on uh, some of the other, like, uh, better defensive teams, he might be leading in most – some of these categories, if not most of them, just from having better defense behind him. We certainly not have right a lot of obviously, but – 170 innings. By the way, yeah. you guys might find interesting. Baseball Reference has um, uh, Citizens Bank 98 for pitching park factor. Chase Field is 99. Uh, Wrigley Field is 102. All right. Uh, where's Atlanta? Where the hell's Atlanta? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Atlanta's 102. Interesting. Is this that is actually very interesting. And San Francisco is 97. Hmm. That's, that's, you know, in that case, like Justin Steele, the fact that, I mean, the thing that's going to hurt him and why I don't think he'll win uh, the side this year is just like he's the lowest in any pitch. I do think that uh, Gallon, um, the amount of innings he pitches this year is really going to put him. You know, it may get that may be the difference maker. Is just like the amount of innings he puts out there. Um, Logan Webb, I mean, really should be uh, the favorite. Just looking at you know the traditional stats, but it's, he's going to be hurt really, really bad by that 10-12 win loss record. Unfortunately, it, you know. By the way, when Snell won his Cy Young Award in 2018, he had 180.1 innings pitched. Right. And there was that was a big deal back then, you know, because I think, um, you know, the 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 I'm looking up right now as we're talking like, you know, he lagged quite a bit in, in innings pitched that year in the American League. But he just, you know, 21 and five and led the league in ERA. You know, took that like leading the league in wins and leading the league in ERA. It's a big thing to voters, you know. So on the year he won the Cy Young, he was 14th in innings pitched. Kluber had 215. Verlander had 214. Keiko had 204. James Shields, 204. Probably wasn't a great idea. He had a four and a half ERA. <laughs> anyway, so just a, just a point I was making is like, you know, the, the innings pitched, I mean, voters have a track record of just being so wowed by wins and ERA yeah. that they sometimes will overlook these other value things that hinge on workload. So, I, you know, uh, what I wrote in the article, I said that uh, Gallon needs to uh, run off another streak. He needs to go streaking again. You know, yeah. he's he's got nine. <laughs> so... You know, like if he could put up like, you know, two more starts of seven inning shutouts and, you know, now, oh, he's in a pennant race and he's thrown 23 consecutive scoreless innings. That's going to be all over the news. I mean, he needs to do that, I think, to get back into the front of the pack, both statistically and narratively. Yeah. And also that helped Brandon Webb in the 2007 Cy Young Award race as well, because he narrowly missed out on the award was one voting point to a guy that won the national league triple crown that year right i think it's gonna really like it's right now it really is too much of a toss-up to like have a favorite uh for gallon to win it yeah he's gonna need to have like this a string of like this great starts the rest of the year uh i mean if he can if he can Keep like you like said like the scoreless streak. Uh, pull that off and uh, not give up any runs the rest of the year. Like I think he's got it in the bag at that point, especially the D backs make the playoffs. You say if Gown doesn't allow a run the rest of the year, his inning count's gonna be like two twelve, two thirteen. 
kind of thing, and then the ZRA is going to be what three. Yeah, I should bring it. it I think I'm. I don't know how much they bring it down, but it certainly would significantly lower his his ERA. Can you imagine Gallon this year with six plus runs of run support? I mean, does fifteen and seven be, become seventeen and five? No, I think it becomes eighteen and three. Yeah, something like that, right? You know, uh, I I just you know at the end, um, you know, I, I wrote you know more importantly from a Diamondbacks perspective, he has shown repeatedly he can get on a roll for multiple starts. He just pitched his first nine inning complete game shutout. He has a twenty eight inning scoreless streak early in the season, forty four and third. Last year, if that shutout was the start of another such run, he'll probably take control of the award. Fingers crossed. Go, Zach. Yeah, it's tight enough that a run like that would make or break it for anyone. Exactly. I think, so. like, that's I think that's, really what gonna, that's what it's going to take. Like, one of these starters is going to have to perform like that to really make the case for themselves because they all have a decent enough case for him. Even Snell does. Even. That Wheeler has a, has a good case of just how much his team and ballpark work against him, you know, or Justin Steele even. I mean, gun to my head, I think Steele wins the award unless he really falters. Um, and he's been pitching really well. He looked great to me the other day. Yeah. Um, you know, if he can pick up a couple more wins and say end up 18 and four or, or 18 and three. And keep his ERA around two and a half. I just think it's going to be irresistible for the voters. I think he's going to get there. Um, I, I I think he's out in front. I just think it's going to be split ticket. You know, I'd, I'd yeah. be surprised if he got more than, you know, I'd be very surprised if he got more than fourteen or fifteen first place votes. You know, I can see him. I can see this year's Cy Young winner only getting ten first place votes, and it's really going to come down to down ballot how guys are evaluating. And when it comes to down ballot guys, voters are just, they're going to look at the wins in the ERA. They just yeah. are. Anyway. Pull up, pull up Stevens, the comment there. I don't, I don't think that uh, it, it does obviously winning a Cy Young or any award is going to hurt your chances of assigning a player to an extension. I mean, kind of a given. Uh, Great say, question. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was gonna say Gallon's pretty gung ho on hitting the open market, if you ask me. So yeah, I I would say that um, there's the there's virtually no chance of the Diamondbacks re-signing him anyway, um, yeah. and certainly winning the Cy Young and then getting through the next two years healthy makes that even more remote. But you know, take a look around, right? You know. The, the beavers and the ceases of the world, you know, I mean, uh, a year or two after running up that high in innings total and being that great, what happens, right? I mean, you know, there, there are, there are, there are no Justin Verlanders in a league right now. There is nobody else out there who can give you 200 innings year in, year out and not get hurt. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm not jinxing anything. I'm just saying that it, we it's just way too early to predict Zach Allen's market, but I would say that the odds, given his agent, given the fact that um, you know Gallon never it never sat well with him when they renewed his contract, right? You know, back was it two years ago they did that, Michael? Uh, I'll have to look that up, but I think it was I, I can't remember if it was heading into twenty one or twenty two, but he was renewed and he was not a happy camper about that. I think um, it was the number. It might have been the number, not necessarily the renewing. I don't, yeah, it's I don't think he will sign to an extension. I wouldn't sign him to an extension. I'd actually flip him uh, before free agency and try to extract as much value uh, from the contract. Cause it's real. I don't, I just don't think he's going to sign giving his, his agent is a bit of a factor. And uh, I, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, yeah. He's gonna he's gonna touch free agency one way or the other. Well, anyway, you know, I mean, look, Zach is just is a terrific person. He's he's the smartest guy you'll ever talk to about pitching, and he's a great pitcher. So I don't want to go negative and worry about you know trades or injuries or anything like that too much. Yeah. I kind of even regret mentioning it, but you know, the bottom line is is that uh, he's gonna get paid. 
you know, he's going to get paid a very, very hefty contract. And we all know the track record of this organization. And so, you know, enjoy it while you can. That's my advice to Diamondback fans out there. If the Diamondbacks make the postseason in 2023, we can assume that Gallon will most likely, there's a good chance that Gallon might actually finish out his control years in Arizona if they feel like they can contend. Yeah. In 25. And, well, Gallon's here. That's basically their window right now. Yeah, I mean, all of those questions, you know, talk to me again in July 15th, 2024. Yeah. Yeah. Right? How's he doing? How's the team doing? Are they still in contention? you know, two weeks before next year's trade deadline. And then we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I've, been hold- I've been holding I, this I'm opinion very since much last of the same opinion. It's like Mike Hazen will not trade Zach Gallon. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a pretty good line in the sand to hold. <laughs> Unless he gets extended. Then obviously that buys time and he can try and extract value out of Gallon before he hits free agency. Mm-hmm. So Diamondbacks. I want to trade everyone. <laughs> I want to trade everyone, okay, so it doesn't really. Okay, Trader Jerry. It's like... <laughs> All right. So the D-backs took three of four against the Chicago Cubs, and are now in the third National League Wild Card spot. They picked up a game going into the series. They were half a game behind Miami. Going out, they're half a game ahead, but they are tied in the loss column and lost the tiebreaker. However, they do have the best playoff odds on baseball reference and fan grass for teams vying for the number three wildcard spot. I think uh, baseball reference had them at 36%, and I'll have to check fan grass real quick. But, uh, it seems like their uh, playoff odds seem to swing 10% one way or the other based on a win or loss, given how tight this race is. Sounds about right. I mean... They're doing what they, you know, what Michael and I have said that they needed to do, which is just, you know, take away series win at a time, uh, especially against the teams that they're they're vying for a wild card spot. Like taking three three or four from the the Cubs was uh, definitely like it didn't necessarily I mean help their playoff odds, but it didn't like you know like they didn't worsen their playoff odds. Like they pretty much like. They, they've at least treaded water over the last month and haven't really like moved up or down too much outside of staying in and out of, you know, playoff race. All right. So the fan playoff odds is 42%. And obviously we add the other things that are playoff odds, probably around 35, 40% across the board. Baseball prospectus is 35. Hmm. So yeah, baseball prospectus used to be the one that doubted the Diamondbacks for when they were going good early in the season. But now it seems like, the odds have kind of coalesced. Yeah, they're coming pretty yeah. close. What, what was Fangress, you said? 42.3. And baseball reference was like 37? I think it was 36. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, that seems like pretty much the odds to me. By the way, um, baseball prospectus has Miami at 39. Ahead of the Diamondbacks. That's a, that's an interesting wrinkle. I don't I don't know if I necessarily would put. Uh, is that their overall playoff odds? I would say the Marlins are definitely. Yeah, there. well, it's all it's all wild card yeah. at this point. Okay, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, right. the Braves clinched the division, if I remember correctly. I don't think they've clinched it yet, but the magic number might be single digits. It's got to be that Braves team is killer. Yeah, they do have. Well, not every team is. Well, no team this year has that. Inevitable buzzsaw type thing. Atlanta's bullpen is okay. Yeah, their yeah, elimination the one, number is one six. Thing that them back. Okay. Yeah, you know the one thing I I'm curious about, and I I don't know. Does the do these playoff odds? I mean, they're all based on running simulations, but are they taking into account the tiebreakers? I think the one that has. The Mar- I think what baseball prospectus has the Marlins at thirty nine percent. That might be a factoring into it. Yeah, I mean these things. These things already. Well, they it. have. I mean, they have the Marlins um, simulated wins eighty three and a D-backs eighty two point eight, so zero point two difference. But they're 
they're 3.6% better chance to win the wild card based on that 0.2 win difference. It could be due to the fact that the Marlins have a pretty tough week ahead of them, the Brewers and the Braves in back-to-back series. I think that then a cupcake Kansas City team and then the Brewers again. Hmm. That 13-game stretch could make or break their season. And, of course, the uh, Marlins have a habit of lingering around. Tight, they win tight games, as the Philadelphia Phillies learned the hard way this weekend. It's like I'd be very nervous in a low-scoring game against that team. Yeah, well, I mean, the way I'm looking at it is, you know, the bare minimum the D-backs need to do from here forward, right? I think they need to go 11-7. and seven. I just don't believe that 84 wins is going to do it. 11, 7, if they go 8, 10 and 8, they get to 84. And I think it's just one of these other teams is going to get on a run and get to 84 also. And then they're going to, you know, they'll lose on the tiebreaker. I, I just want the Diamondbacks to finish with 87 wins. And that's kind of what my prediction has been down the stretch. Just so I can say I was right, Jack. Well, they'll have 10 games against three teams that are nowhere close to the playoffs in September. So. Of those 10 games, how many yeah. do you think they need to win? I say at least seven. Yeah, win all three series. Yeah, they, all these series are, against, are on the road. Well, the Dimex home schedule is against teams in the playoff chase. I mean, that team is not great this year. The Yankees are obviously the worst they've been in like 30 years. Uh, although uh, Dominguez, who just called up, has been on a nice little hot streak. I don't think that's going to last. Yeah, he's um, just got hurt. But, uh, yeah. UCL's UCL injury for uh, Dominguez. Oh, my God. See, that's the kind of year the Yankees are having. So, like, that's one of the reasons why, like, they're, the two New York teams are I – mean, there's no – they really should be – like, we should be able to sweep them, hopefully. But minimum, they got to win this series against both of them. They're really, the only the toughest – the toughest opponents are going to be the Giants and the Astros. Yeah, there's going to be an extra desperation and I, and I guess, for the Giants. I guess the Cubs. Yeah, well, right now the Astros are up two and a half in their division. So go Astros. Clinch that baby early. I'll send them a try. I'll send them the. I'm just kidding. That would be a bad joke in poor taste. Send them a transcript. Yeah, a transcript. (laughs) So. The Mets, I mean, the Cubs series, you know, I mean, the the D-backs pitched so well. With the exception of really, One you know, the first inning by Manaply and the and the third inning by Fogg, right? I mean, two bad innings. Um, okay. You know, they allowed four runs in the first three games, and then they allowed four runs in the first three innings. But I mean, you know, for the series, they only allowed nine runs in four games. What a, what a great pitching performance overall, despite that third inning and the three solo homers from Brandon Fogg. If we lump fought in as a starter, we could say the bullpen is actually the bullpen's actually pitched well over the last week, believe it or not. I think they went on a two game run against the Rockies where they retired thirty three of thirty six in back to back games. Which gave which in the first game obviously they gave their offense a chance to do it, but they couldn't figure they just didn't hit hit against Kyle Freeland and then the next day, because the bullpen was lights out, they ended up hammering the Rockies middle relief core. Once the game got interesting. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think, um, you know, a lot of people were confused about Sunday's game. Um, The lineup decisions, there's nothing really to criticize there. Um, You know, Moreno can't catch every single day. So, you know, you got Savala had to get a game in. Um, Lawler and, and, and Cattell were both nursing injuries. So they didn't really have a choice about sitting those guys. I mean, they could have used them if they had to, but you know, those, those they needed the time. You know, Lawler so needed the, the day off regardless. Uh, yeah. After after Saturday's game, I mean, he really looked like he just needed to sit for a day just to kind of, uh, you know, I would I would have sat him on Sunday regardless of of an injury. Yeah, I was gonna say there's a you had a right hand pitcher on the mound, so you could slide in Perdomo at shortstop. I think that's when you're going to see the off days for Lawler. Maybe he gets one or two more before the season ends. Right. But uh, how's he you know, look so? F- how's he look so far? 
the the it's amazing to me how much stock they clearly still put in um, head-to-head matchups in determining things. Um, and it's just irresistible to a manager. And it's funny, when, when I worked for the Diamondbacks, that was my job, um, partially. Like, that was my contribution in season to the daily scouting report was the uh, pitcher-hitter matchups. And I created a matrix, and it, you know, regressed everything heavily, of course. The number one factor was lefty-righty platoon splits, um, not just of the pitcher and hitter themselves, but then regressed against league average, right? So, you know, even if a guy had a reverse split, because that was regressed against league average, it kind of tended to balance things out. It had to be such an extreme split um, to counterbalance the league average. Yeah. Um, and then the second hev- most heavily weighted thing was balls in play tendency. So um, uh, just a quick little tutorial. If you think of it in a nine box grid, right? Um, and up at the top left, the top left box is ground ball pitcher versus ground ball hitter. Okay. Ground ball pitchers typically own ground ball hitters. Yep. Then if yeah. you go down to the opposite corner of the box and you look at fly ball pitchers, versus fly ball hitters. They're also a little bit, not not the kind of ownage you see ground ball versus ground ball, but fly ball pitchers versus fly ball hitters actually end up having a little bit better Woba against, even though they'll give up some home runs because 85, 90% of balls hit in the air that don't go out of the yard are outs, right? So the Woba against is actually a little bit lower for fly ball pitchers against fly ball hitters. So though, when you have that, combination right so if you had like a ground ball left-handed pitcher you know and then you had a left-handed batter that was a kind of a heavy ground ball profile forget about it that guy had to stay on the bench so in my field versus alec thomas exactly visualize that exactly um you know you know then you got to the bullpen but here's the thing i had to include i'm sorry i don't mean to be monopolizing but i want to finish this um the the head-to-head I included it in the matrix, but I weighted the, the head-to-head like 5% of the whole thing. I mean, like I just manipulated the weighting because it, it virtually has no predictiveness. Head-to-head matchups, if you look at pairs of guys that had, say, 30, 20 plate appearances or more against each other, and then you look at the next 20, there's no predictiveness. They, this 20... These 20 plate appearances, this hitter owned this pitcher. Oh, well, that's definitely a good matchup. But then when you take all those pairs of pitchers and hitters and then you look at the next 20, it goes, it regresses right back to whatever they should be. You know, it doesn't necessarily reverse, but it regresses back to the mean. And so, you know, but Jace Peterson, I'm making a long story short, Jace Peterson batting second because he was nine for 20 with three doubles, a triple, and, and two homers um, against uh, – uh, who was the starter? Um, Kyle Hendricks. <laughs> Kyle Hendricks. How'd that work out for you? What do you have, a, a dunk single, and that was it. It just makes me think of that that softball episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns sits Daryl Strawberry for Homer Simpson because of the matchup. <laughs> exactly. It's like and it's like that's one of the, the the funniest jokes in the entire episode and don't get it unless you're familiar with like yeah lineups and like matchups and lineups is uh it is is crap for a manager damn you can't they can't resist it it's patented to a cat yep there's a lot of, there's a lot of i like to joke uh with lineup construction the first rule of lineup construction there's no such thing as lineup construction because you can only script the first one to three at bats in the game. However, you can anticipate, although I say you can anticipate certain things if tendencies come out to play, I suppose. So I don't know if you guys can see on my notes here while we're talking about lineup construction. See what it says there about Corbin Carroll? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so 
So I don't, I don't get it, Jack. Since the All Star break, get it either. Since the All Star break, this team for the year they have a ninety-two WRC plus against left-hand pitching. Since the All Star break, it's eighty-three. Since the All Star break, Corbin Carroll's got one hundred eleven WRC plus against left-hand pitching. Stop dropping him in the order. Just stick him at leadoff and leave him alone. Yeah. I, that's one of the most baffling decisions for me that, that Tory hasn't done that. Uh, like that's, that's, he's the kind of player you just leave batting off and don't really worry about him too much. Like I'm not worried about how Corbin Carroll is going to lead off the lineup. Like this is one less thing to worry about. So I don't get why that hasn't been the decision made already. Yeah, I mean, it could certainly bat could tell Marte lead off because Marte's best swing is from the right side. And most left-handed pitchers, he can get the bat head on. He can reach change-ups down and away, and he's going to hit breaking balls, breaking in towards him. And I think the only kind of – I guess you can say there's very few ways that lefties can get him out. So there, There's one lineup construction that makes sense for the Diamondbacks, and it should never, ever change. Carroll leading off, Marte second, Walker third. Period. Yep. It's, it's just it's just so crazy that they're 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 so smart and they and yet they're so lost. It's just amazing to me. I feel like they're trying to use Walker in the old school cleanup role, which is kind of now like the three spot in the order these days. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, the bottom line is who's most likely, even with those two guys, who's most likely to come up to the plate with two outs? And nobody on base. And the whole order. Yeah. Who, who's who's most likely to come up with two outs and nobody on base the most times in a ball game? Third hitter in the first inning, right? Absolutely. Third hitter, period. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's most likely to come up with two outs and nobody on base. Now, with two outs and nobody on base, which hitter on this lineup can give you instant offense more than any other guy? There's only two guys that can do that, Walker and Carroll. Yeah, and, and Walker is still a better home run hitter than Carroll. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, you know, it gives them the opportunity for crooked number home runs too. You know, so, I mean, put your three best hitters to top three, get them the extra at bat, and just stop with everything else. Those three guys should be one, two, and three. They're good hitters. They've earned it. You look at teams with really good players, and I mean, like, you know, you can reel off – you know the top three of the Braves and the Dodgers lineup with your eyes closed. You never have to look it up. I mean, I type that shit in when I when I'm doing our our lineup card to put in our articles, and we play the Dodgers. I don't even look. Yeah. <laughs> I just type it in. It's like Dodgers leadoff hitter, Hall of Famer. Number I two think that's one of the, Hall of Famer. One of the the things they look for doesn't matter. Hiring. They've already scored. Uh, one of the things they look for in hiring a Diamondback manager has always been being addicted to just having a just changing lineup every day. Brenly did it. Uh, Buck, I don't, I wasn't really like a fan when Buck was the manager, but like every manager since since Brenly has been just addicted to just shuffling the lineup every single game. Well, I mean, you can argue for uh, why Bob Melvin did it. His team, well. His team couldn't consistently score runs. Although hey, with, with this why. team and this construction, four through nine, have at it. Yeah. Juggle like you're in the freaking circus. Yeah. But one, two, and three. Carol, Marte, Walker. That's it. That's all they got to do. And then uh, whoever's hot between Fam and Gurriel, bats clean up. Come on. So, Mets series, Michael. We got a left-hand pitcher today. Oh boy. A hot left-hand pitcher. Was he giving up that, two runs in his last 20 innings or something? Quintana? That, yeah, Quintana. Yeah, the D-backs, so I think the last time they faced Quintana was in 22. They had good at-bats against him, but they didn't score runs. Hmm. Well, obviously, previous matchups don't carry over year to year. I, I think the best way to predict the performance by this team is to have them they're they're gonna get shut down by whatever team's worst starter and then they'll light up their their best yes. pitcher generally and that seems to be the pattern that they've been going with. The team does really well against their ace. Whoever of oh, whoever yeah. team. Well Quintana's in the area three. 
Yeah. And we don't know who's pitching the rest of the series. Um, well, they're TBD, but I was looking at the projected starters. I don't know what's going on there, but I was looking at fan graphs, you know, starting pitcher. They are, they have another lefty projected Lucchese going Wednesday. The D-backs have had some success against Lucchese in the past, but obviously that's in the past. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that they're going to face at least two left-hand starters in this out of the four in this series. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that seems like a good thing. I can't agree with that. So listen to these WRC plus numbers against left-hand pitching since the All-Star break, since July 14th. Evan Longoria, seven. Seven WRC plus for Evan Longoria against left-hand pitching. Podomo, 39. Rivera, 48. Tommy Pham, obviously, since August 2nd, 66. Gabriel Marino, 76. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., 77. That's one, two, three, four. Five right-handed hitters and your switch hitter. Uh, between 7 and 77. Yeah, the big uh, ones are Rivera and Longoria because... Those two are always in the lineup together against lefties. Yeah, that's a good point. And in, a case, in the case of Gurriel and Moreno, I think that's a little bit of regression in play since they got off to a hot start against left-handed pitching. I think Moreno was hitting 400 against lefties in June, so had to factor that in a little bit. But yeah, it's the fact that Longoria and Rivera haven't really provided much offense against lefties is where Partly what's killing their lineup. Also, Tom. Yeah. Maybe call Jake McCarthy. Get rid of get rid of Taven as an aside. I don't know. You know, dude's tearing up Reno. Uh he's been tearing it up since he was sent down. Uh why is he not on the major league team? Why are we giving up asset players that aren't good? I mean, the, qu- the question isn't Paven Smith versus Jake McCarthy. It's Alec Thomas versus Jake McCarthy. Yeah. Smith's mm. getting like five at bats the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, if you bring up McCarthy and you option Paven Smith, how many at-bats is McCarthy going to get? Maybe a few more than Smith is getting now, but not many. I mean, I, I, Thomas has been uh, – I don't know what his numbers have looked like uh, as of late. They're not good. I just kind of assume that. I mean, I would – I would if that's, if that's who you're trading to put Jake McCarthy back in the lineup, do it. But the problem is also you lose his glove in center field. And runs come into premium in the postseason, but you can argue, well, what's it? if he saves a run with the glove, what if he loses it with the bat? Does it matter? Kind of thing. Well, no, well, like, I, I think the difference between the two is not that much of a difference. Between, like, I mean, Jake McCarthy, I mean, if you put Corbin in center or Jake McCarthy in center, like they're both, very competent outfielders. It's not like we're jumping from, from you know, uh, a gold glove outfielder to like, you know, the worst in the league. Like, there's not that. Well, much. Keep in mind that Thomas was a gold glove finalist last year, despite only playing two thirds of the season. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I'm saying I'm just, I don't think that the jump down to McCarthy is not that bad. It's like it's not like you're throwing Kyle Schwarber out there. No, the the thing about Thomas that I just can't understand um, is, you know, his walk percentage in the minor leagues. I mean, the lowest he had was in 2018 in rookie ball, 8.2%, right? In 2019, in, uh, you know, low A, he was 10.7, high A, 8.7. In 2021, in double A, he had 11.2 walk percentage. In 2021, in AAA, at a nine point walk, nine walk percentage. In 2022, in his time in Reno, 10.7. In Major League Baseball, it's 5.1. I mean, even the projections can't believe he's walking so little. They're still projecting him at 6.5, 6.7. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, the projections I haven't seen was he looks helpless against curveballs. 
my in my opinion it's like you can just roll a curveball just below the knees and you'll swing at it 100% of the time and that's kind of the problem that's what Tori talked about back in April it feels like pitchers don't have to throw the ball in the strike zone to get them out wow yeah so i'm looking at pitch values i just scrolled down to pitch values good call michael on the curveball per 100 right um, minus yeah. 2.98 minus 3 runs on the curveball per 100 minus 1.5 on the slider He's about even on the fastball, um, and he's I mean, just doing like all his damage on cutters. <laughs> basically, basically he's uh, ripping cutters to the right side of the infield, and if he gets a, something up and away, he, saucer, he hits some hard ground ball or line drive the other way. But the back foot sliders, the back foot curves, change-ups working that start on the edge of the strike zone and fade off the zone, those are kind of the pitches that have been doing him in of late. That explained. I mean, that what everything you just said aligns absolutely yeah. perfectly with his Fangrass pitch values. Well done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. It's, like, it's I mean, a problem much... when you see it. It's ingrained into my memory when you see the same at bat forty times in a month. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, there's no guarantee that McCarthy is going to be a better hitter than than Thomas, but like this, the, just the fact that we have so many below average. Uh, you know, people you, hitters. you like, I'm out, yeah, hitters. Uh, past you know, like one, one through three, like, you don't really have a lot of people you count, like players you count on. So, I mean, you got, I mean, you're... you got to do something, is kind of where my attitude is. I was to say, from you look at your core, your top three players are Corbin Carroll, Jordan Lawler. Gabriel Moreno. That's your long-term core. That's your top three position players long-term. If yeah. that's it, and that's if Jordan Lawler meets expectations. Yeah. And obviously, we're at least a year and a half away before we can just even remotely answer that question. He's a bum. He's going to be a bum. He's going to stay a bum forever, Michael. You know it. Jack knows it. Uh, like two, three bad games. He's a bum. Yeah. Trade him away. Trade him away for relievers. Trade him for Mike Trout. I've heard he'll leave. <laughs> uh, Mike Trout might literally be the worst trade value in baseball. If you oh, my me. God. No, no, it's Wander Franco. <laughs> oh, the Rays aren't paying yeah. his salary. <laughs> yeah. You know, talking about McCarthy, I mean, the, you know, just kind of back to Jake a second. Um, man, that guy, you know, you, you would think he would get discouraged, right? I mean, you would think, yeah. like, if he keeps getting sent down, you know, all, he's, all he has to do is slump for two weeks and boom, off you go. You know, I mean, over and over again, um, you know, they've just not chosen him when other people are slumping too. You know, we don't need to denigrate anybody. I'm not saying that they yeah. made the right or the wrong decision. It's just that last year, you know, they kept sending him down instead of Pavin. This year, they keep sending Jake down instead of Alec. Um, you know, and every time he goes down there, he just kills it. And says, you can't keep me down here. And he never gets discouraged. He never stops working. I mean, just love that guy. He's such a hard worker, you know, and he's got such a great attitude. I mean, look what he's done. Since he got sent down August 16th, he's hit 383, 414, 645, 1059 OPS. Since August 25th, he's hitting 458, 494, 778. I mean, sure, it's Reno. Get all the caveats you want. But... That's where he's playing. That's where he's hitting, and he's hitting more than anybody else. I mean, yeah. he's gonna he's likely to win back to back player of the weeks. So it's like it's it's like it's Reno, but the like, league recognizes is, him as the best player of the week. What else does he have to do? For two weeks. What else does he have to do to you know hit right handed? I mean, I, the one thing I will say is that dude is always on when it comes to baseball. Full effort all the time. Yep. Like I, you don't meet a lot. You don't. You don't meet a lot of players who are always on. Also, I Corbin. Think, Corbin is one of them too. Yeah, and also I feel like McCarthy's speed is something the D-backs need to weaponize in the postseason if they get there. Yeah. Like, well, when you say what does he have to do, I can tell you very specifically what he needs to do is put up high exit velocities in Reno. Whatever the hits, whatever the results are. I remember his he, first he needs he to that. show that he's swinging with authority and, and hitting with a higher exit velocity. 
and then repeat that when he comes back to the majors. You know, they don't want the soft serve. They want him hitting the ball more authority. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, Michael, I don't know if you were able to get in there and find, you know, what his exit velocities look like in Reno, but I'd love to see that for the last month, What if we could find out. Yeah, that wouldn't be a problem. It would just take some time to compile the data. That's about it. Yeah, and I mean, I you know, I know you were talking about writing about Jake, and if you do, I would look at that because that's what the team's looking at. Yeah. I would assume that they're uh, that uh, McCarthy's definitely hitting the ball well in terms of exit velocity, considering the fact that he's got so many extra base hits, but obviously extra base hits due to the fact that he's, what, top 10 sprint speed in baseball or something yeah. like that. Anything that isn't a clear fire single is an extra base hit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to see the home runs. I mean, five and 116 plate appearances, four in his last 79. So that's better. You know, I, I, I'd have liked to have seen eight. I know I'm being greedy, but like, because you don't know how many of those doubles and triples were hustled out for the extra it base. Like, it wasn't like the case with Canzone, whose home run power actually dropped the month before he was called up, but the exit velocity and line drive weight skyrocketed. Right. Obviously, we're talking about a player that's no longer in the organization, but that's the ref. But we're pointing that out as a reference. Just well, based on my Twitter feed, he looks like he's hitting the cover out of the ball. Like this Reno, like like I like you said, he's like probably gonna win Player of the Week second time in a row based on his results. Um, but like just looking at like his his extra base hit base hits over the last week, he looks like he's pressing the ball. I am curious to see like just how hard he's hitting it. But that's a good answer to you know my question is what it was going to take is yeah okay so he's got to do well and uh just murder the ball until uh the d-backs are given no choice again again yeah. <laughs> well yeah. on that note i have well, a game preview i gotta go right d-backs play in four, three more hours or four more hours mm-hmm. so i gotta start putting together a game preview um i enjoyed talking great to you wes yeah it was a lot of fun Michael, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. I'll look forward to doing it again. All right. So wrapping up here, what were the what was the main takeaways that you had for today um, in this discussion for both the Cy Young Award and McCarthy? Oh, this the the Cy Young is going to take um, whoever like all five of those players like whoever steps up and dominates the rest of the year they they need that they need a way to distinguish them if all three kind of have or all five have mixed results towards the end it's like uh, it's, it's a complete loss it's really kind of what i took out of that jake mccarthy he needs to hit like he's yeah it's not guaranteed that he's better than alec thomas but um He's he like hits he hits the cover off the ball generally he hustles all the time I don't think the defense is that much of a step down I mean I'll look at the numbers later on but um, to me I mean I'd send down Alec Thomas at this point yeah I think McCarthy has to be a significantly better hitter than Thomas to overcome yeah. the defensive gap between the two like the gap between the two Baseball Reference has him at seven runs but and I think it's shrink a little bit if you do the stat cast run values but i think mccarthy has to be an above average bat yeah absolutely make the organization take thomas's glove out of the lineup yeah that seems to be the case i mean really like thomas's glove is that good like i'm not like i know i i shit on a lot of guys and i really shouldn't but i mean it's 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 just sad seeing uh this offense, the back half of it, is just non-existent. So, I mean, uh, this is a three-game set or a four-game set again? It's a four-game set, so it's like they got 18 games to kind of figure out what lineup they want to do, and hopefully they get yeah. enough out of it that they can get 11, 12, rattle off 11, 12 wins. Because if they win seven, those seven games of those 10 cup relatively easier games, of course they're not easy because they're road games, but they win seven of those. Getting to 12 wins, they only have yeah. to win five at home. And they need to sweep the Giants, so that's two. You win three. Yeah. And if you can go three and three between the Cubs and the Astros, you're in good shape. Yeah, I mean, and really. 12 the, wins they, gets you to 87. The bare, like, I mean, I, the bare minimum, really, here, if they want to, like, you know, 
really move ahead of the pack in the wild card and like make any real progress in the in, in the wild card standings. They need to take. They, they uh, you can't split the next few series. You can't lose the next any of the series the rest of the year. I mean, they basically have to take three or four from the from the the Mets, take three or four from the Cubs. No, they only have uh, three games. Like the Cubs. Okay. Two or three. Okay, so it's just, they need two or three from the. I mean, at that point, they basically need to sweep the Cubs. I don't think they need to sweep Chicago to get in the postseason, but sweeping Chicago would what they need to do if they wanted to get the number five seed. Yeah, it's, it's, that seems to be. I mean, that's really they just got to keep doing what they've been doing. And uh, yeah, I mean, other, other than making like that's the only real move I could see them making to improve the offense right now is maybe give Jake McCarthy a shot. I mean, both players are playoff eligible. Is deciding between you know what your your the playoff roster is going to be. So anyway, that's going to wrap up today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, hit the subscribe button and leave a like on the video. Comment down below if the D-back should bring up McCarthy and if Zach Gallen can win the Cy Young Award if he rattles off. Let's say he rattles off four quality starts in a row to close out the season. That's six innings plus and three earned runs. So we're talking a minimum of 213 innings, perhaps. Somewhere right in there. there, and that that's enough to push him over the top. And uh, we'll be back in the next Snakes on the Diamond podcast that will be on Friday when we we'll recap the Mets series and get into what will be a very pivotal five game homestand. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, all the Dimex home games come against postseason contenders: Giants, Cubs, Astros on the road. They face three teams that are under that are five hundred or a little below. I'm not sure what the Yankees' record is, but. Yankees, White Sox, and the Mets. Of course, uh, the D-backs can't take the Mets too lightly as they learned the hard way in July, July 4th through 6th where they dropped all three games and it was a disaster series and they kind of got the ball rolling for their July slump. Thanks for watching, everybody. See you next time.